Hello, Gator Nation, and welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators, your team every day. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, staff writer for the Lake City Reporter. What's up, Florida fans? Welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators. Hope everybody enjoyed yesterday's episode with Jeff Santel. Getting a look at the Georgia Bulldogs. On today's show, we'll get some more perspective from the UF side of things with Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun. Graham and I will discuss this Florida-Georgia rivalry on Saturday and what he thinks it will take for the Gators to get a win. We'll also get his thoughts on Florida's exhibition game against Lynn, what Florida coach Mike White had to say on Thursday, and what the Gators will look to show in their season opener against North Florida. Here was my conversation with Graham this week. We're now joined by Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun. It is Florida-Georgia week, Florida basketball going on. It's an exciting time to be on the beat, Graham. It absolutely is. You know, this is the time that we love pulling double duty. Florida, Georgia used to be, I think historically, it always seemed like it was in October. I can't remember covering basketball games before that, but it's great to be here always. This Florida, Georgia matchup, I think is especially exciting because Florida is in control of their own destiny. Yep. This could be the first time the team has a chance to play for the college football playoff despite making the SEC East, uh, leading the SEC East and, yep. and going to Atlanta just two years ago. This feels a little bit different and, and rightfully so, Zach. And I wrote about the, that this week in the Lake City Reporter about this game and it being the second top 10 matchup uh, in a row. And that hasn't happened since 1983-1984. And with last year's game, I think for Florida, they were just trying to show that they belonged, you know, and, and that they deserve to be in the top 10 discussion. And obviously, they had just gotten into the ranking, then Georgia knocked him out. But since the end of last season and then all of this season, except for one week, they've been a top 10 team. So I think it's fair to say that they've arrived in that category now. But I feel like if they can get a win Saturday, as Jonathan Grenard said, that changes everything. Now for people start to look at Florida as more than a top 10 team, but a potential top five, top four college football playoff contender. I, I do see that, and I think that will start to happen. Honestly, I am a little bit surprised that the national media hasn't got on board a little bit earlier. This is the third game that Florida's been the underdog. Yeah. They're ranked higher than Georgia, and they're, I think, the underdog by four and a half points. Yeah. Uh, that's a little bit surprising to me, and it kind of gives a little credence to when you hear Florida's players coming out saying that they do feel like the underdog, that they have this possible chip on their shoulder. There's a lot that goes into that, whether that's the way that people didn't expect Florida to be back so soon under Dan Mullen. Yeah. Many people didn't realize that they had won 10-plus games in a row dating back to last season before that loss at LSU. Uh, but those things are hard to ignore right now, especially if they beat Georgia and sure. have the chance to, to then beat Vanderbilt and be fully in control of going to Atlanta. If that happens, uh, it's going to, I think, require a strong performance from Kyle Trask through the air, Zach. Yeah, and, and last year the Gators did not get that from Felipe Franks. Just 105 yards. Uh, he missed some plays in the passing game. Everybody remembers the flea flicker. Now a new guy under center, Kyle Trask, having a lot of success since he took over as a starter. But going up against a really talented Georgia secondary, and I think that how that matchup plays out, definitely going to be one of the keys to the game. I think what Kyle Trask does well as a passer will work a lot better against Georgia's secondary. 
Felipe Franks too often was kind of going for the big play, looking to hit the home run every single time. You mentioned the flea flicker. We haven't seen that so much out of Kyle Trask. He goes through his reads. He's decisive. uh, He doesn't zero in on a receiver. He senses pressure in the pocket. I'm not going to say that he has amazing pocket presence, but I certainly think that it's going to be able to withstand the pressure that Georgia's going to bring on Saturday. Yeah, and you did a nice piece for the Gainesville Sun this week, kind of looking down at that matchup. What what has Georgia done in the secondary and, and kind of some challenges that they might present Florida's offense and, and passing game with Trask? Yeah, clearly the strength of that Georgia secondary is the safeties, which yeah. really isn't the argument that Florida has going from. So really don't expect Florida to hit Georgia for any huge plays over the top. Really where Florida's going to benefit is those one-on-one matchups against kind of some inexperienced corners. DJ for them is pretty good. The real key that I'm really interested in, Zach, is Tyson Campbell. He's been out yep. for four games with that foot injury. Kirby Smart kind of indicated that he could return. They shut down practice. Uh, multiple players could have returned on the injury front for them. If he plays, it's going to be a lot more interesting. But if he's out, they're going to be going against possibly Devad Wilson, several other guys that are lacking a little bit of experience, someone that you're very familiar with, yeah. of course. Um, name, advice from the past with yeah, that name. you got to shout that out, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so if they are missing Tyson Campbell, I think that really Florida is going to look to open it up. You know, against that South Carolina team, Dan Mullen never really wavered on how he was going to approach his offensive philosophy despite the weather, despite yeah. what South Carolina's secondary was was looking at. Uh, he opened it up, and it resulted in four passing touchdowns and 200 passing yards by Kyle Trask. I would not be surprised if he did that against Georgia on Saturday. And we saw last year Georgia have a lot of success against Florida with their tight ends, and they kind of picked on the linebackers there. But it seems like Kirby Smart is a little bit concerned about Florida's tight end this year. And I had Jeff Centel from Dog Nation on yesterday saying that he was kind of the X factor from the Georgia side of things that they were looking at uh, in Florida's offense that could be maybe the difference maker in a Florida win. Yeah, Kyle Pitts has clearly emerged as Florida's primary target. I don't think there's any debate about that. He leads the team with 35 receptions. His 360-plus receiving yards is is something we haven't really seen out of a tight end, I think. Maybe a decade, if not, you know, 2012, 2011 era. Jordan Reed would probably be exactly the last one. But certainly, you look at what Dan Mullen likes to do with the tight ends. I would not be surprised if if they look for Kyle Pitts early. Um, I also would expect to maybe get Lucas Krul involved in the game, maybe run some two tight end sets. I don't know um, what Florida is going to do specifically with him. But, you know, I think back to this game last year, so much talk was about Felipe Franks, but the quarterback that that Dan Mullen ended up playing and, and even took a jab at Kirby Smart for was, was Emory Jones. Emory Jones he played a right. several series. I think people forget that and then used him to kind of take a shot at the way he was using that's Justin Fields. Right. One of those things that kind of has fallen by the wayside in the last few years. I think that there's going to be some unknown target that we're not expecting. Maybe it's Emory Jones. You saw his answer about Emory Jones on Monday. Dan Mullen was kind of coy, didn't say too much. Say, yeah, we always have some plans, some plays for him. You never know. He really didn't have a chance to see the field against South Carolina. I would not be surprised if they were saving him for extended action against, once again, the Bulldogs. Yeah, and his, and his in-state team, too. So I think Emory would be excited to play in this matchup once again. Let's go over to the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, last year was a struggle for Florida. They lose C.J. Henderson in that game and uh, just weren't able to kind of keep it together. They give up those those touchdowns on third down. Those were real backbreakers. But now going into this matchup, I think they got to feel a little bit better about where things are at. They have C.J. Henderson. They have Marco Wilson. 
They have both of their defensive ends back, and you're looking at a Georgia offense now that has been struggling with a new offensive coordinator with receivers that are missing from last season and Jake Fromm coming off the worst two weeks of his career. So uh, they've had a bye week to regroup, but Florida's you know now coming into this thing at full strength or at least healthier than they've ever been this season. Yeah, last year Florida had no chance of getting Marco Wilson back. Nope. They didn't expect to lose C.J. Henderson in the middle of the game. You talk to guys, that really rattled them. This team, CJ McWilliams got picked on all game. And, and, and that's just one of those consequences of depth that you talk about. Florida doesn't have that issue anymore. Charlton Warren certainly knows that Kyer Elam is going to be in there if Marco or CJ even needs a break or has to go down for any play or two. Um, you know, I'm really interested to see if Florida's pass rush can not only take DeAndre Swift out of the game, who I think will actually play more in the passing game than many people are expecting, but if Jabari Zaniga is back and John Grenard is back and they're at 100% and able to get to the quarterback quickly, I could see Florida being the team that is able to come up uh, with some turnovers in this game. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm ready to make my, make my prediction, though. All right, so we'll get your thoughts uh, before you give us your pick because obviously uh, Florida's gotten to the point now where as a program you're going to get some people that pick them on Saturday to win that game. And – for me, as I, as I look at this matchup from a recruiting perspective and where it was two years, just two years ago, like Florida's had no shot on the field trying to compete with Kirby Smart's team uh, and Jim McElwain's last year. You get into 2018 matchup and Florida's kind of made some progress, but they're still not on Georgia's level. I think everybody could see that in that second half of the game. But now going into this year's matchup, I think that a lot of folks – in the SEC and nationally view Florida as maybe right close to the same level as Georgia, even if they're giving the edge to UGA. I just think that speaks volumes to what Dan Mullen has done because if you're just looking at it on paper, there's no way that Florida's talent should be able to measure up with Georgia's if we're just looking at it from recruiting profiles because they have, they're littered with five stars and four stars on their roster. Gators don't have one. Um, what can you speak to about that and just – I don't, I don't want to say Florida co- closing the gap on Georgia because I don't think they've maybe done it on the recruiting trail, but maybe from a development and coaching standpoint, they seem to be right there on their trail. Exactly. I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head right there. Florida is going to take a few years with their facilities, with the way that they're recruiting, the way that they were a few years ago. It's going to take them a little bit to get closer to that area that Georgia's recruiting, but the way that they have made up ground is in the coaching staff. Yeah. I, I think that one of the things that we talked about early and often when Dan Mullen arrived back in Gainesville was that he already came with a decade of head coaching experience in the SEC. He's the second longest tenured coach in the SEC now behind Nick Saban, and I don't think people fully appreciated that. They didn't understand what that prestige and and his capabilities could do for underdeveloped talent and how quickly that gap could close. People forget that There were high-end four-stars on this roster who just weren't being developed at the right rate or given an opportunity, and with the right coaching, strength and conditioning, nutrition staff, you're seeing what can happen. On the flip side of things, a lot of people speculated that, that Georgia was landing so much talent that they would struggle to find ways to use it all, and I think that the way that Jake Fromm has played this season combined with the way that Justin Fields is playing at Ohio State and the way that Jacob Eason is playing at Washington Mm. and the way that several other running backs have viewed that program... uh, it's safe to say that that Georgia does have um, an offensive philosophical problem on their hands. They have a first-year offensive coordinator. Kirby Smart still doesn't understand uh, 
his play calling role. I think I'll put that nicely. <laughs> I think the chain of command isn't as clear there as it will be in a few years. Or just and, the game management. And, and, and that's something that just comes with experience. You know, you talk to guys all the time about how can you replicate game experience, and everyone says you can't. Well, that is something that translates to coaching. Guys will make mistakes. You saw Les Miles for years, who's one of the you know most brightest coaches out there, made multiple clock management errors. It happens in the NFL on Sundays. Sure. It's not something that any coach is immune to, but lessening the chance of it killing your team is something that seems to be correlated with head coaching experience and I think that Florida fans are finding that out right now you look at how Florida has adjusted in the second half of a lot of games that they've trailed in I think back to the Vanderbilt game last year I think even to the South Carolina game this year there were a lot of times that Florida could have lost those games if, if they didn't have the right coaching staff to make halftime adjustments but I think that the last 24 months have shown that Florida's coaching staff is going to make up for that talent gap sooner than later definitely and as we uh we go, I'm going to save my prediction for Friday so everybody tunes into that, but what are your thoughts on this game, Graham? You know, besides the prediction, what do you think it's going to take for Florida to get the win? Uh, what do you think the score is going to be? And, and what do you think about Georgia being the favorite? Are you surprised by the line this week and people giving UGA the edge? Uh, maybe a little bit, but like we just talked about, this is not anything new for Florida. Um, they really, I don't think, have been given the respect in terms of the point spread, and maybe a lot of that comes from Offense is not really being so potent in Gainesville recently. So I think that that's fair completely. Um, but I do think that Florida emerges with a victory on Saturday. I think I'm going 27-21. I know you Ooh. didn't have a prediction. I think that um, to me. if Florida can force Jake Fromm uh, into some turnovers, whether that's getting him to put the ball on the ground through pass rush um, – or getting what they love to call coverage sacks that result in some nice interceptions, as you saw in that South Carolina game, you may not need to score offense, points against their defense as long yeah. as you can take the ball away from their offense. Uh, I think that Florida has what it takes. I think that Jake Fromm um, has kind of plateaued a good bit and that they're struggling to use him. James Cook, they've got all that talent there. I don't know how they're going to get those guys involved. If Florida can take DeAndre Swift out of the passing game, this could be a game that, that quickly turns in Florida's favor, and that's right now where my gut's telling me. When we come back from this first break, Graham and I will get into some Florida basketball talk. You're listening to Locked on Gators, your team every day. We're speaking with Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun. We're going to switch gears now and talk a little Florida basketball with Graham. He covers that as well for the Gainesville Sun. Uh, Gators back in action in their exhibition game against Lynn. What, what did you think about how... Uh, they looked in that first game and some of the new pieces that took the floor. I think a lot of what you saw made sense. Uh, when you're an underclassman, especially a, a highly recruited freshman who's used to dominating at the AAU level or the high school level, oftentimes defense can fall by the wayside. Understanding spacing, uh, where to move without the basketball, communication in a loud gym, making sure that your calls echo. That's stuff that will just take some time. You know, we just spent all this time talking about game experience. You know, they could have highly touted freshmen like Scotty Lewis, Trey Mann, but those guys are still going to need to have an adjustment period playing against other teams. Also, you saw that kid, Jordan Allen. I know you were there, Zach. He went off for 35 points. Mike White said he could have had 38. 35 of their 71 points. That's not going to happen every single night. They were doubling him. They were trying to box out on him. He was hitting Kobe-type shots off one foot. That's not going to happen every single game, but I think it really speaks to what Florida can expect this season. 
Number six ranking, just because they have four underclassmen as their starters, doesn't mean that teams are going to take them lightly. Every single opponent on their roster is going to be gunning for them, and then this team is going to have to realize it sooner than later. Where they're really going to struggle is on the defensive end, getting back. They could blow some leads because this is a team that, that has shown, as they did on Tuesday night, that they can get a little bit comfortable when they get a 20, 30-point lead. Uh, Scotty Lewis, as good of a defensive player as he's going to be, I think he's going to need at least 10 games to fully adjust to the speed sure. and get a little more confident, and that will result in that communication. But this is a team that has a whole bunch of potential, and now it comes to Mike White proving that he can lead them back to the NCAA tournament for the fourth straight time. What'd you think about Scotty owning up post game to how he guarded Allen in it's, that game? It's very noble because if you watch that, he isn't entirely at fault for all that, especially late in the game. There's times when he's playing the three and Jason Jatobo and Omar Payne are both out there so three true freshmen and often they're rotating off screens and we don't really fully know if if one guy's not calling it out or one guy's saying rotate and they don't rotate you know as journalists you also don't want to fully jump to assumptions but as you said Scotty Lewis did come out there and and take a whole bulk bulk of the responsibility Um, I'm certain that that's something Mike White wants to see because if you feel that onus which he seems to have being a highly regarded two-way player uh, that'll quickly translate to production if he has that mentality. But like I said, there are going to be some games that may wake him up to understand that you have to play with that intensity for, for 30 minutes a game. Kerry Blackshear, uh, initial impressions on him and, and what he's brought to this Florida basketball team. That's a good question. I think that they're going to rely on him a lot to rebound, considering they can play a lot of really small rotations. Uh he also is a little bit quieter than I think people realize. It's not a dig on him, but it's going to be tough for him often to point to underclassmen and tell them where they need to be in the flow of a game. Um, so he's not Jonathan Grenard. Maybe he will. Maybe he will quickly grow into that role because, as as you said, we've only seen him in one game here, and he was certainly confident, averaged a double double at VT. So maybe he grows into that role. But Keontae Johnson and him, two kind of soft-spoken guys who all the talent in the world but it may come down to communication and and as a head coach uh it's difficult to watch your team communicate without talking on the basketball and so fluently yet struggle to vocalize such essential you know plays and where you need to be that stuff just takes time and I think that this team when we hit SEC play when they have to go to Butler uh in December 7th when all that stuff comes together, I think that Florida will embrace the moment. But right now, I think that they may need to get woken up a little bit. Yeah, and you, we just heard from Mike White uh, getting ready for the season opener. What did he have to say after having a couple days to kind of review the film and just see where this team is at before they get ready for the real thing? A lot of it was that effort needs to make, be maintained for all 40 minutes. Kerry uh, Blackshear spoke as well, and he acknowledged that when they got up by 20 points, guys did seem to kind of take the gas off the pedal. Uh, Mike said that he looked back at some of the rotations and the way that, you know, I mentioned those freshman bigs being out there, that probably won't be something Florida fans see too much this season as long as Florida does get Dante Bassett and Gorjok Gak back eventually during the season. Otherwise, a lot more will be on their plate. Uh, guys like Trey Mann, defensively, that will be the big key for him down the line, but offensively can do so many things with the ball. Scotty Lewis, we mentioned him, a two-way player who will naturally just – once he gets more comfortable, comes into his own, adjusts to the speed of the game, I think fans will certainly see why he was regarded so highly. The big name for me, I think, is Omar Payne, who I did mention there with the freshman bigs. A guy who can just natural instincts around the glass, uh, put back finishes, good hands. I think he has better hands um, than some of the previous centers that have come through Florida. Uh, That's something that is hard to teach, as as Mike White certainly knows, Al Pinkins certainly knows. So if Omar Payne can continue... um, 
to do that at a high level against some of these SEC teams and, and some of these Power 5 teams while also adding this 12-foot shot offensive rebounding abilities this is a guy who's going to quickly start playing 18 22 minutes a game because they need guys like that rebounding defense uh blocking shots um getting the ball out in transition those are things that omar Payne does well and they're things that this team is going to need a lot this season yeah which would be huge contributions for for them final question for you florida opens the season with north florida and then the big matchup with florida state been kind of a thorn in the side for the gators here lately for this team to kind of go where it wants to go, how big would it be for them to kind of set the tone early and get a win over the Seminoles? Yeah, Mike White last season, the way that that game went in Tallahassee, uh, really probably gave him nightmares knowing what he was in for the rest of the year. This team struggled on defense. They didn't communicate. Um, I'm sure that Mike right now is hoping that most of the problems that this team is showing don't become problems like last season's team. And like you said, a big test will be in that FSU game at home. Uh on November 10th. I, th- I think that this is a Florida team that's much better than Leonard Hamilton's FSU team, even though you look at what FSU just did in the NCAA tournament. Many people would say that that certainly Mike White faces starting 0-5 against FSU in his UF career, but I think that Florida does uh, emerge victorious, and it could be a turning point either way for this team. A month later, like I said, they have to go to Indianapolis to play Butler. Every team's going to have a, you know, gunning for them. They're going to have a target on their back. If they lose to FSU, Mike White really is going to start ramping up how much he puts on the freshman's plate. Because as you saw last year, when things really weren't going well with some of those upperclassmen guys, Mike did not hesitate to put in those freshmen, and they played more than 30 minutes a game. And right now it's paying off, like you said, because those guys are ready to go this year. So I'm interested interested to see if they progress the way that he expects, because if not, he is going to have to figure something out definitely well great stuff as always from Graham we always enjoy having him on the podcast we also get some Florida basketball talk from him now so Graham once again let everybody know where they can follow you and read all your work always my pleasure being here with you Zach you do a great job you can read me on Twitter at Graham Hall underscore find me in the Gainesville Sun and at Gatorsports.com I'll be around with you soon and we'll see pretty soon here Florida could still be in control of their own destiny and possibly be bound for Atlanta that'll do it for the latest edition of Locked on Gators appreciate Graham joining us for today's show On tomorrow's episode, I will break down my five keys to the game for Florida, Georgia, and preview some other big games coming up this weekend. Make sure you stay tuned to Locked on Gators, your team every day.